My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Woodland Hills Church. We are continuing our study of the book of... Right. Surprise! And um, we're up to Luke chapter 12, and we're in the middle of a section that is... In fact, it's going to continue on for a couple chapters, so get used to it. This is Jesus' uh, tough love. There's some tough stuff he's saying here, and we need to hear it. We need to hear it. Um, I want to entitle this message, The Fire God. I, I came up with an even better title last uh, service, uh, The pyro, Cosmic Pyromaniac. But we weren't able to change it. So The Fire God will have to, have to fit. And we're starting here on verse 49, and I'm reading from the TNIV version. Uh, later on, I'm going to go read some verses from the message. I don't know, does anyone here read the message, the uh, Eugene Peterson's thing? And that's a very good paraphrase. Uh, you know, don't base doctrine on it because it's not a translation, it's a paraphrase, but he really has a great way of expressing the core concept in today's language. I was really, I haven't really read it that much, but this week, some of the passages were just powerful in his version, so I'm going to go to his version at some points. But ordinarily, we read out the TNIV. So, starting with verse 49. And I'll make comments as I'm reading the, the next 10 verses, and then we'll get into the meat of what we're going to be studying here this morning. I've come, Jesus says, to bring fire on the earth, fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. The baptism he's, he's going to undergo, most scholars agree, refers to the baptism of suffering. The word baptism, baptizo, means to immerse. So he's going to be immersed in suffering. Um, and he's referring to his death on Calvary. There's a fire he wants to start. He's the cosmic pyromaniac. He wants to start a fire on the whole earth. But he can't do it until he goes through his baptism of suffering. And we'll talk more about what that baptism is, or what that fire is, uh, a little bit later on. Verse 51. Jesus says, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? Yeah. Totally. Jesus says, au contraire. I tell you, I've come to bring division. Now, he's starting here to describe what this fire is going to do. When this fire is unleashed, it's going to cause some division. It's going to burn up families, apparently. It's very odd that Jesus says this, isn't it? Do you think I come to bring peace? No, I've come to bring division. What's odd is that I can show you a bunch of places where it says, or at least suggests, that Jesus came to bring peace. When he's born, for crying out loud, the angel says, peace on earth, goodwill to all people. Hello. And Jesus often, when he heals people and delivers people, he says, go in peace. And when he sends out his disciples in Luke chapter 10, he says, first thing I got to do is you pray blessing and peace on every house you come to. And he calls us to be peacemakers. Sermon on out. Blessed are the peacemakers. Uh, Peter actually, in Acts chapter 10, summarizes Jesus' ministry by saying he went around proclaiming good news and peace to all people. So yes, I think Jesus came to bring peace. And here he says, no, I come to bring division. That's what you call a paradox, folks. It looks like a contradiction. And I don't think it's just that Jesus or the gospel authors were too dull to notice that there's a contradiction here. I think that the, the, the contradiction's on purpose. But it means we gotta do some serious thinking about this, and this is part of what this message is gonna be about. How do we put these two things together? I can't bring peace. I didn't come to bring peace. I can't bring division. We'll get to that a little bit later on. Let's move on. Verse 52. From now on, or from this point, and I think he's talking about the point of the fire, uh, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. 
They will divide it, be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. We get the point. Uh, it's going to be mayhem. It's going to cut right down the middle. Now, Jesus here is, is, is describing what's going to happen. He's not prescribing this. He's not saying this is what he wants. But he says when this fire hits, it's going to have this effect on some families. The, the, the division is ultimately caused because some folks make Jesus Lord of their life and some don't. And uh, that might strike us as odd. Like, why would that cause a family to blow apart? But if we're wondering about that, that's because we're in a culture that makes tolerance the supreme virtue. And we're in a culture where most people don't take faith very seriously anyways. So in, in America, it's kind of like, okay, one's a Christian, one's Buddhist, whatever. Uh, what's the big deal? But historically, in many cultures at least, at many times, uh, the main reason why family blew apart was, was, was religion. And it has happened throughout history that when, when a, a child or a spouse would become a follower of Jesus, they would be disowned by the family and the extended family. Uh, and sometimes the family would report them to the authorities and sometimes that would result in them being imprisoned, beaten, and sometimes even executed. And Jesus is saying that we have to be willing to have that happen. His lordship is such that it has to come even before family allegiance. Verse 54, then Jesus said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say it's going to rain, and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, how is that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Uh, in, in Palestine, when there's a, a cloud coming from the west, it was over the Mediterranean Sea, and it was bringing in water. Everyone knew that. And um, when there's a breeze that starts to blow from the south, that's coming from the desert. That's the desert wind. And the temperature is going to rise very quickly. In fact, the temperature can rise 20 to 30 degrees in a single hour when that desert wind starts to blow. It's bringing in all that heat. So yes, people know how to interpret the weather signs. But Jesus is saying, how is it that you're at least that smart, but you don't see what's right in front of you? I'm doing these miracles. I'm delivering these people. Uh, I'm giving this teaching. And yet, a lot of you in the crowd are here just for the carnival factor. And you're not seeing that this is the kingdom of God and that I am the bringer of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, starting in verse 57, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Think. Okay, think, think about this. As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try very hard to be reconciled on the way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge and the judge turn you over to the officer and the officer is going to throw you into prison. And I'm telling you, you won't get out of prison until you've paid the very last penny. He's using an analogy from a court of law here. Uh, if you were indebted to somebody and you weren't paying on time, they had the right to take you to the magistrate. Proctor in Greek, which is simply the person in charge of kind of small claims disputes, financial disputes. And um, Jesus is saying, look, at, while your adversary is taking you to, to court, it's in your interest to settle that dispute on the way there, because once you get there, you're going to be brought before a judge, and you may be found guilty, and they're going to throw you into prison. It was the debtor's prison. A debtor's prison. And uh, the purpose for that was that they would lock you up and they'd sell everything that you have to pay off this debt. And if that didn't pay off the debt, they'd say, sell your children into slavery. If that didn't pay off the debt, they'd sell your wife into slavery. And so Jesus is saying, 
it, it's in your interest to get right now, to, to, to get the kingdom now, to get right with God now, to get right with one another now, to get your life right now, because it's going to be harder later on. You will get out of prison, but not to pay the last penny. The process is going to have to be made complete. And we'll come to that verse a little bit more uh, a little bit later on. The fire God. I'm going to pray here in a moment, but I, I forgot to announce this. Um, there's a book on this. You know, we always like to be pushing books around here because we believe in reading and education. And Woodland Hills is just known for its hyper-intelligent, well-read audience, crowd, congregation, right? So, okay, we're, we're, so listen, if you want to go deeper than I can go in one sermon on this, here's a good book by John Michael Talbot. You've probably heard some of his music, some of you had. It's called The Fire of God. It's an excellent book, taking the fire metaphor of God. God is a fire and, and going deep with it, showing how it affects our life, how God wants to burn up all sorts of stuff in our life, which I'll be talking about a little bit later on. Pray with me here for a moment. Lord, in Jesus' name, let there be fire. Let the fire fall. Uh, help us to see you as the fire that is burning within us and help us to be consumed by that. Lord, use this message to burn truth into us and to burn out lies. God, I pray it would be used to give people a clear understanding of uh, who you are and the effect that you have on people. And even more importantly, Lord, I pray that this message would be used by you to burn into our souls a profound, yielded submission to you. Burn hot, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. The fire God. Jesus says, I've come to bring a fire. What is he talking about? Come to set the earth on fire. When we think of fire, at least a lot of us, especially if you've been raised in the church, uh, what immediately comes to mind is hell. Um, I was raised in a Catholic family, went to a very conservative Catholic school, and from second grade on, I heard a lot about hell. I had nightmares of hell, uh, terrible nightmares that I still remember very, very vividly. Hell, fire, hot, bad, stay away. And so it may sound here, and there's a little bit of truth to this, as we'll see a little later on, but it sounds like Jesus is just really ticked off. I am going to set this world on fire. I'm here to bring hell. Uh, and I'm here to burn up. You hypocrites who don't get it, I'm here to burn up families. I'm going to send a fire that's going to blow apart families. Yippee! And it sounds like Jesus is really mad. Now what's odd, what's odd is that Jesus says he's come to bring good news. This doesn't sound like very good news. He says he's come to save. This doesn't sound very saving. He says he's come to liberate. This doesn't sound very liberating. He says he's come to heal. This doesn't sound very healing. He came and showed us, taught us how to love our enemies. Doesn't sound like he's loving his enemies here. He wants to incinerate them. So what's up with this? I mean, this is a paradox. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem to fit. It's related to the paradox I mentioned earlier. Jesus says, many times says, I've come to bring peace. And now, he said, now he's saying, I'm not coming to bring peace. I've come to bring division. What's up with that? And that relates to even a bigger paradox. It's one that I've been wrestling with kind of compulsively for a couple months on my blog. Um, it has to do with the different pictures of God you find in the Bible, specifically about the Old Testament and the New Testament. On the one hand, in the Bible, you find the most magnificent, beautiful, outrageous, loving, merciful picture of God you could ever imagine. In fact, you can't imagine it. However good your picture of God is, he's better. But right next to that beautiful, magnificent, outlandishly lovely picture of God, you find a terrifying picture of God. Absolutely terrifying. A God who incinerates people. And the question is, how can we put these two things together? It sometimes looks like, it looks like you have two different gods, and there's only one God. So how do we put these pictures of God together? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a really tough issue. And as I was studying the fire metaphor, 
this week in preparation for this message, it occurs to me that this fire metaphor captures this paradox perfectly and to some degree, I think, explains this paradox. That's part of what I want to share here this morning. To put all my cards on the table, here's what I want to show in the next 35 minutes. God is a fire. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, it calls God a fire. We'll get to that verse a little bit later on. God himself is a fire, it says, a consuming fire. The fire that Jesus unleashes in this world after he goes through his baptism of suffering is the fire of God's presence in this earth. That fiery presence is experienced as the fire of burning love to all who are open to it. It is the fire of God's hot love that brings salvation, that brings peace, that brings freedom, that brings liberation, that brings purification to all who will submit to it, who won't resist it. But that same fire becomes a fire of destruction to all who refuse to be consumed by it. All who will not be consumed by the love of God are ultimately destroyed by the love of God. The kind of God you see depends on the kind of heart you have, the kind of eyes that you have. You might think of God, the fire of God as sort of a giant Rorschach test. You know, the kind of test, those inkblot tests that the therapist shows you uh, in order to, you know, you're supposed to say what, what, what you see in the inkblot, and that kind of tells you what's on your mind and what's in you. It doesn't tell you a thing about the inkblot, but it tells you a lot about you. Um, well, you know, God, the fire of God is kind of like that. He is a God of love, but whether you see that or not, or the extent to which you see that, or the extent to which you see him as a terrifying, wrathful God, that depends on your heart. You see what's in you. Uh, and you project that onto God. It's a little bit like in the Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if you've read C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, but in the last battle, which is the last of the series, Aslan shows up. And to all who love Aslan, uh, Lucy and, and the other children, they, they see a magnificent, beautiful uh, lion, and they, and, and they run to Aslan. But the enemies of Aslan, Aslan see a hideous creature, a hideous beast. They're terrified by Aslan, and they run away. But it's the same Aslan. And Aslan really is a kind, loving lion. He's not tame, but he's kind and loving. He's good. Um, uh, but if you're set against that, then what you see is a terrifying beast. God is perfect, fiery love, but he's seen and, and experienced as a terrifying destruction to all who, to the bitter end, refuse to submit to that love. And this, folks, I think is why it's true that Jesus unleashes a fire of love, but it's also a fire of wrath in this world. It's a fire that brings peace to all who will receive that peace, but it brings conflict to all who will not. It's a, it's a fire that's intended to bring salvation to all, but it's also a fire for that very reason that brings condemnation to those who refuse to be saved. God is a fire. Okay, now to flush this out, I'm going to talk about three aspects to the fire that God is in the Bible. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Keep your thinking caps on. I packed a lot into this message. Uh, it's hard to keep it into 40 minutes. I'm going to go fast, but it's going to be dense, so pay close attention. Here I go. First, God is a loving fire. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. It's not that God has love, as though it was one attribute alongside others. It's not that God does love, as though it was simply a verb that God does. Uh, it's not that God is partly love. No, God is love. The totality of who God is, is love. Love defines his very eternal essence. God is love. So everything God does, everything God does is done as an expression of who he is. It's done out of his love. That love is a fire. It is hot. 
In the Song of Songs, it says this about love. He says, love is invincible facing danger and death. Passion laughs at the terrors of hell. The passion of love laughs at the terrors of hell. The fire, the fire of love stops at nothing. It sweeps everything before it, burns up everything in front of it. Floodwaters cannot drown love. That's from the message. This passage is originally written about a, the love between a bride and a groom, but the church is always understood to be also applicable to the uh, love between Christ and the church. And it reveals something profoundly true about the nature of love. It's a fire. It's a fire. When you get it, you're hot. It consumes you. It's untamable. Uh, there's something crazy about love. The passage says that the fire of love burns hot in the face of danger and death. It is nothing for a person who's consumed with love for another to risk their life for them, to even face certain death for them. Love does that. It's crazy. It's untamable. It's hot. The passage says that the fiery passion of love laughs at the terrors of hell. I would go through the fires of hell if I had to to rescue my wife and my children, my loved ones, uh, friends. Uh, Love does that. It puts the other before yourself, even if it means going through exquisite pain and torture. Love literally burns hotter than hell. Love sweeps away everything before it. It just means that it's like a brush fire. It just burns up everything in front of it. It burns away every obstacle. Love finds a way. If a lover has to wait five years for the beloved, he or she does it. And I've known that to happen. Uh, Because time is no obstacle to love. Love burns up the obstacle of time. And if it's genuine, true, passionate, consuming love, then then, uh, if a person has to change their country, change their culture, learn a different language in order to be with the one they love, and I know of a case where that's happening right now, love does that. Because culture and language is no barrier to love. Love burns up that obstacle uh, to be between the lover and the beloved. And if a person has to give up all of their inheritance and all of their wealth because their family disowns them because they're in love with this person they're not supposed to be in love with, and that's happened throughout history, the person, the beloved, is willing to do that. The lover, a person consumed with love, uh, wealth and poverty, those aren't issues that, it burns up those obstacles in order to be with the beloved. Love sweeps away everything before it, and nothing can put the fire of love out. Floodwaters can't extinguish the power of love. Love never quits. It's, it's unextinguishable. Love may say to the other person, you give me every reason on earth why I shouldn't love you and it's not going to affect my love. I'm just going to keep burning and burning and burning in love with you. And what we need to see so very clearly and believe with all of our heart is that God is that kind of love and God is that kind of fire. In fact, God is the epitome of that kind of love and God is the epitome of that kind of fire. God is, God is a fire with, that is infinitely intense. In fact, the greatest love you've ever seen on earth, the most noble, most sacrificial, most tender, forgiving example of love you've ever seen among human beings, however great it might be, it may give you goosebumps, may bring tears to your eyes, it's so beautiful, but you've got to know that that's simply a pale reflection of the kind of love that God is and the kind of fire that God is. God is a fire of infinite intensity. God is love. He's a fire God. We see him most on fire with this fiery love on Calvary. Calvary is God on fire with a love that we can scarcely begin to imagine. The fire of God loves burns hot in the face of danger and death, just like it says in the Song of Songs, because he was willing to give his life for us. It meant nothing to him to do that. The fiery passion of love laughs at the terrors of hell. 
Because as a matter of fact, when Jesus Christ came into this world to save you and me, he brought on the terrors of hell on himself. He offered himself up to Satan and the powers who, who orchestrated his crucifixion. He brought upon himself the judgment uh, of, of, and condemnation of sin. First Peter even says he descended into hell. Love laughs at the terrors of hell. For the joy set before him, Jesus did all of that. The joy set before him was being with you and me, and that made the terrors of hell insignificant. And the untamable fire of God's love burns up every obstacle that we could ever put in front of him. It uh, burns up the obstacle of our bondage to Satan. It burns up the obstacle of our sin. It burns up the obstacle of our just condemnation. Love finds a way to be reconciled. He pursues us with his fiery love. And there's nothing that can extinguish that love. Floodwaters can't extinguish the hot, fiery flame of God's love. Your rebellion, the flood of your rebellion doesn't extinguish God's love. The flood of your grotesque sin, perhaps, does not extinguish the fire of God's love. The, 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 the flood of your unbelief, the, the, the flood of your self-centeredness and self-lordship, it doesn't extinguish the fire of God's love. It just keeps burning and burning and burning because it's who God is. It's not just what he does, it's who God is. Now, if you're here this morning whether you're listening through the iPod or television or in the auditorium, if you think for a moment that your sin extinguished God's love, you've got to think again. Uh, you think back on your heinous sin, the thing that you did, the affair, the abortion, the murder, however, whatever it might have been, and, and that maybe was grievous, but if you think that that extinguished God's love for you, you've got to think again. Your sin, however big, however many, however terrible it was, is a little water drop trying to put out the sun, and it just ain't going to work. You can't put out the, wa the sun with a, with a water drop. He vaporizes that flood in a second. And see, when Jesus goes through his baptism of suffering and then unleashes a fire on this earth, this is the essence of the fire he's talking about. Calvary reveals, the baptism of suffering reveals the infinite intensity of the Father's love. And then it unleashes the infinite intensity of that fiery love into this world. God's presence is a fire of love. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's why John the Baptist says this when he's talking about Jesus Christ, that he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. There's a fire that's coming, John the Baptist says. It's the fire of God's presence. That's why when the Holy Spirit falls on the church on the day of Pentecost, it's symbolized by having flames of fire above all the people's head. It's why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, do not put out the, fi the Spirit's fire. Don't put it out. The Spirit is a fire. When you surrender to Jesus Christ, genuinely surrender your, to Jesus Christ, you are letting him begin to consume you with fire, and you've got to know he put a fire in your soul. You've got a fire down under, folks. Uh, when you surrender to Jesus Christ, there's something hot inside of you. Now, you can't extinguish the fire of God's love for you, but you do have some say in how hot that fire of the Spirit burns within you. That's why Paul says, don't put it out. Don't douse that thing. Uh, our job is to yield to that fire and to let it burn. And when we as we learn to surrender to the fire of the Holy Spirit, he begins to consume us. It's sometimes called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You're filled with fire. And as you, as you yield to the fire within you and, and, and let, let him just burn God's character into you, you'll begin to find yourself burning with a love you never had before. You begin to look at people in ways you never looked at before. You, you, your judgment towards them starts to get burned up and it gets replaced by this hot, fiery love. 
You begin to have mercy on people you didn't notice before. You begin to have compassion. You begin to find joy in sacrificing of your own time and resources for the sake of others. You begin to regard people that the world regards as unimportant as being as important as the President of the United States. You're beginning to be consumed with love, and as you're consumed with love, you start to be consumed with joy because there is no joy like the love of God. And as you're consumed with joy, you begin to be consumed with peace because there's no peace like the joy of God. And as you begin to be consumed with peace, you become consumed with power because there's no power like the love, joy, and peace of the Holy Spirit burning in your soul. And so the word here this morning is this. Let yourself be consumed by the love of God. Give yourself over to the fire. Surrender yourself up to the fire. Throw yourself onto that fire and let yourself be burned alive with the love of God burning in your heart, coming out of you to a world that desperately needs to be warmed by the fire that you've got within you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yield to that. Consumed by God's love. Secondly, God is not just a fire of love. He's a God who's a a purifying fire. But that's not a different fire. There's only one fire, that's God. And he is love and he is purifying. God is holy, the Bible says, over and over and over again. In fact, so holy that the Bible teaches us that no one, no sinner like us, can look at God and live. Uh, God tells Moses, Moses says, show me yourself. He says, well, if I did that, you'd die. If you looked at me as I really am, you would die. He doesn't say, if you look at me, I'm going to kill you. Notice that. That's an important distinction. He says, look, if you look at me, the effect of that, it's not what I want, but it's just how, how it's going to work. Right now, as you are, uh, you would burn up. You would just burn up. You'd melt. The, the, the fiery holiness of God's love melts everything that's inconsistent with it. This is why everybody in the Bible who even gets a little glimpse of God as he truly is, this becomes totally undone, becomes unglued. Uh, yeah, the, probably the best example of this is Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6. And here again, I'm reading out of the message paraphrase. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the master, the Lord, sitting on the throne, high exalted. And the train of his majestic robes filled the temple. Angel seraphs hovered above him, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two their feet, with two they flew. And they called back and forth to one another, holy, holy, holy is the God of the angel armies, the Lord of hosts. His bright glory fills the whole earth. There's that brightness. The foundations tremble at the sound of the angelic voices. And then the whole house, the whole temple, filled with smoke. Here's the fire image. And then Isaiah says, doom. It's doomsday. I'm as good as dead. Every word I've ever spoken is tainted, blasphemous even. And the people I live with talk the same way, using words that corrupt and desecrate. And here I've looked God in the face, the king God of the angel armies. I'm doomed. Then one of the angel seraphs flew to me, Isaiah says. He held a live coal, hot coal, red coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. Here's the fire analogy. He touched my mouth with the coal and said, Look, this coal has touched your lips. Gone your guilt, your sins wiped away. Isaiah gets a little glimpse here of God in his magnificent glory. And it becomes undone, absolutely undone. You have the same kind of response in other characters of the Bible, like Job, when he sees God face to face. He repents in dust and ashes. Daniel falls on the ground. Uh, John, in the book of Revelation, Peter, uh, before Jesus, when they, when they get a glimpse of God's glory, all of a sudden you become very aware of just how 
incompatible you are in your sin with that God. God is holy. The word holy does not mean prudish, by the way. It means other, other. Uh, it has a sense of weight and glory. Uh, and you realize how other God is from you in your sinful state when you come into the presence of God. Uh, some of us have had that experience here on earth, maybe not seeing exactly what Isaiah saw, but when you come into the presence of God, you realize how on your own you could never stand in that presence. It would, in fact, kill you. Uh, God is a holy fire that exposes our sin. You, you never realize how dark the room is until someone turns on the light. You, your eyes get acclimated to the dark. Well, so also our lives get acclimated to our sin, and so we don't realize just how far gone we are until we come into the presence of the light of God. And, and so the fire of God's holy love exposes our sin and exposes our guilt. But that fire is not a different fire from the fire of God's holy love. It's one and the same fire. And so God doesn't just expose our sin and guilt with his fire, but he burns it away because he's a God of love. And so the hot coal touches Isaiah's lips. And undoubtedly, that was not a pleasant experience. But it burns away. God's doing it out of love. It's the fire of his love that is burning away his sin and burning away his guilt. This is what the fire of God's loving presence does. It burns up every obstacle. Because remember, love, love, love finds a way. It burns away every obstacle between us and God. It purifies us. In that sense, God is a consuming fire. Here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. The author says, Do you see what we've got? An, an unshakable kingdom. And do you see how thankful we must be? Not only thankful, but brimming with worship, deeply reverent before God. For God is not an indifferent bystander. He's not up there somewhere in the ozone layer looking down on us. No, he's an active God. Why? Because he's a loving God. He's actively cleaning house, torching all that needs to burn, and he won't quit until it's all been cleansed. God himself is fire. Everybody say that. God himself is fire. God is a consuming fire, burns up everything in the house that doesn't belong there, burns up everything that's inconsistent with his love, burns up everything that's inconsistent with fellowship with him, burns up everything that's inconsistent with the kingdom. He's a consuming fire that burns up all sin, burns up all hatred, burns up all jealousy, burns up all self-centeredness. He burns up everything that keeps us uh, from dancing with him throughout eternity. He, keeps, he burns up everything that keeps us from joining him in this fire of love that he eternally is. He burns up everything that's incompatible with life and incompatible with joy, incompatible with the fullness of his being and his peace. And he does it out of love. Now, it's not necessarily a pleasant experience, but he does it out of love. He's doing it now. And as we said last week, whatever he isn't finished now will be finished later. He does it now by using all the experiences of our life to teach us and to refine us. He doesn't cause all the experiences of our life. Some of them he grieves over. But now that they're there, for whatever reasons, he'll use those to discipline us and to teach us and to refine us and to purify us because he loves us. And whatever's not complete now will be completed later. We talked about this last week, and if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get that, that, that message. Uh, some people think that being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ is sort of an optional thing. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice if we did it, but the minute we die, we're magically made perfect anyways, and so uh, why go through the tough effort of being refined? It'll happen magically the minute I die. And I, 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 I suggested last week that that is not uh, a, an accurate depiction of the New Testament's teaching on this. 
we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Even believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And part of what will happen on that judgment seat of Christ is there'll be a refining that goes on. You either get it now or you get it later. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3. And here we're back to the fire again. If anyone builds on this foundation, he's referring to the foundation of Jesus Christ. It's the only foundation there is. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, or on the other hand, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. Judgment day is nothing other than God showing up and turning a light on everything and saying what is true, what is true. It will be revealed with fire. Your work will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Now, notice here that the foundation isn't in question. The foundation doesn't have to be refined because the foundation is Jesus Christ. But everything built on that foundation comes into the fire of God's loving presence. And if it's compatible with the fire of God's loving presence, uh, then it stays. And if it's not, it gets burned up. If what you've built on the foundation of Jesus Christ is nothing but shallow materialism and self-centeredness and other things, maybe it even looked religious, but it was done for selfish reasons, whatever, the truth of what you've done will be revealed on that day, and if it's not compatible with the kingdom, it's burned up because nothing unclean can go into the kingdom. There's a, a refining that goes on. It's burned away. But if what's been built there is good, it's, it's gold, it's, it's precious stone, it's silver, well, then that same fire, that same fire, it's the fire of God's love, it purifies it. And that, that may be like a hot coal being touched to our mouth, but we know it's done out of love and he's purifying us so that now we're being not just justified by Jesus Christ to enter into the kingdom, but our characters are being reformed to enter into the kingdom because nothing unclean can enter into the kingdom. You either refine now or you refine later. And Jesus clearly teaches us better to do it now than later. Let God work on you now. Let him purge you now. This is one of the things that he's getting at with that courtroom analogy that we looked at earlier in the passage. It's not about paying for your sins. It's an analogy of how all processes that are not complete now will be made complete later on. Uh, you know, if you're being brought to court, reconcile now, because it's easier to reconcile now than later. You'll get out of prison later, but, but, but it's going to be harder. So it's in your interest, Jesus is saying, is to now... Get your life right with this fire. Get compatible with this fire. Let it burn away everything in your life that's not to, to be there. And what Jesus is saying in, in, in Luke then is this. Part of the fire that's being unleashed as he goes through his, his, his baptism of suffering is a fire of God's love that is a purging fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit burns away everything in our life and in society that's not consistent with the kingdom. It's the fire of God's burning holiness working its way into our life. The Holy Spirit wants to burn up all of our self-centeredness, wants to burn up our greed and our idols and our lust and our addictions, wants to burn up all of our judgments that keep us from loving people as they are. And in the community, he wants to burn up, uh, in, in the body of Christ, having us to become a kingdom community that reflects his character. So he wants to burn up every obstacle that separates us from one another. Uh, he wants to be burning up all racism, and he wants to be burning up all sexism, and wants to be burning up all classism in the body of Christ. He wants to be burning, burning up all materialism. Anything that keeps us from God and from one another, he wants to be burning up, and he wants to do it now. It's the fire of God's holy presence working in our life and in the community. You've got a fire in you. It's the fire of God's love. But because it's the fire of God's love, it's also the fire of purging and purification. And the word on this is simply let him burn up what he needs to burn up. Yeah. Holding on to it was only going to make it more painful. Let him burn up what he wants to burn up. Turn over all your stuff 
to see whether it's not, uh, whether it's of chaff, made of chaff or, or stubble or something of the sort, and let it be burned up. Let him refine you so that, and the thing is, the more, the more you let him burn away everything that keeps you from him, the more you see him as he really is. And that terrifying fire becomes more and more of a beautiful fire. And the more you yield, the more you see, the more you see, the more you yield. And now you're in this wonderful kingdom dance of growing in Christ-likeness. But if you resist, it's just more pain later on. And that leads to the third point about this. God is a fire of love. He's also a purging fire, purifying fire. But he's also a God who is a destroying fire. Ominously, but true, he is a destroying fire. The biblical teaching is that all who, whose very being, they don't have a foundation in Jesus Christ, their very being is set against this fire. The biblical teaching is that all who, who will not be, let themselves be consumed by this fire, the fire of God's love, end up being consumed by the fire in a different way. Whoever will not to the very end let themselves be purified by this fire ends up being destroyed by this fire. The biblical teaching is this. The main metaphor used for judgment in the Bible is being burned up. I mean, like incinerated. Uh, you find this motif all over the place. Uh, for example, in Psalm 62, it says that on judgment day, the wicked will be gone like a puff of smoke, like a blob of wax in the fire. One look at God and the wicked vanish. You find that kind of theme running throughout the Bible. The wicked will be as smoke that arises in the night, just vanishes away. Obadiah says the wicked shall be as though they never were. They shall be chaff blown into the wind, scattered abroad. Whatever is not compatible with the fire of God's love is burned up by the fire of God's love. Uh, whoever is, refuses to the very end to, to be consumed by the fire of God's love experiences that fire of love as a destroying fire. Malachi 4 says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace, referring to the judgment day. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. They'll be utterly uh, incinerated. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays. Now just note this, the sun of righteousness, that's the center of all fire, right? That's the, the center of all heat. The, the, on the judgment day, we come into the presence of the sun, the, the, the fire of all fires, the one who is fire. And the, that, that, that sun of righteousness, it heals all those who will submit to it, who will succumb to it, who will join in the dance that God is, who will be consumed by his love. But if you don't do that, if you resist to the bitter end, and there's nothing left of you other than your resistance, then you are destroyed by that fire. It's the same fire, not two different things. The same fire that is healing to one, good news to one, is destruction to another, is bad news to another. In Isaiah 33, it says, You conceive chaff, you give birth to straw. Your breath is a fire that consumes you. The peoples will be burned as if to lime, like cut thorn bushes, they will be set ablaze. The sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling grips the, the godless. Here's what they say. Who of us can dwell with a consuming fire? Who of us can dwell with everlasting burning? Isaiah says, well, those who walk righteously and speak what is right. Now, now look at this passage. To say who can dwell with this consuming fire is to ask who can dwell in the presence of God because God himself is fire. That's the fire that's being talked about. 
And the answer is the righteous can dwell in that consuming fire because they're made righteous by letting the fire purify them. They let themselves be consumed in love by that fire. But to the, those who resist that, that fire is bad news. It's good news to those who want it, who are drawn to it, who submit to it. But it's terrifying to the wicked. Who can dwell in this consuming fire? Because to them it's nothing but terrifying destruction. And notice in this passage, it's not so much that God destroys them. Rather, they destroy themselves. The, the, the author says, out of their own mouth comes the fire that consumes them. It's like the fire's within them. The problem here, God is just being God. God's always God. He's always a fire of love. The problem's not God. The problem is that these folks refuse to be anything other than wax. They refuse to be anything other than stubble and, and thorn bushes. And if that's how you insist on being, well, there'll come a day when God no longer hides himself from you. The truth of who you are and the truth of who God is will be revealed. And in that moment, you're going to be burned up. If there's no foundation beneath that, if there's nothing else to you but that stubble, well, then you are not just purified because you won't let yourself be purified. You're utterly destroyed. And this, folks, also is part of the fire that Jesus unleashed into the world. It's the same fire. Same fire. Has a different effect. That's why John the Baptist, when he says the Holy Spirit, or that Jesus will send forth the Holy Spirit and will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire, he immediately adds in the next verse, in Luke chapter 3, verse 17, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And that unquenchable fire means it's not going to be put out. It, it, will, it will do what it's supposed to do, and that is burn up the chaff. The fire that is unleashed into this world is one fire. It's the Holy Spirit. It's a fire of God's love that purifies those who say yes to it. It's also a fire that destroys those who, to the bitter end, say no to it. This is why it's the fire that Jesus unleashes is life and good news to all who say yes. It's death and bad news to all who say no. It's the same fire. It's, it's why the fire is, it, it ministers peace. And that's God's intent. He, he, the fire is supposed to bring peace. And so he does say, peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's for everybody. It's the fire of God's love is to bring peace. But if, 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 if the, you resist that, if you refuse to succumb to that, well, then it brings conflict and destruction and burns up families. It's a fire that's intended to bring salvation to all, but if you won't let yourself be saved, in the end, it will bring condemnation. It's a fire that's meant to purify and, and, and to make us fit for the kingdom, but if you refuse that to happen and will not submit, then there's nothing left over once the purification is done and you are destroyed. God is fiery, holy love that saves, that heals, that liberates, that frees, that purifies. But if you refuse to have that happen, it's a fire that destroys you. I hope this message helps us get our minds a little bit more around the very diverse pictures of God we find in the Bible. There's one God, he's always the same. But how you see God will be conditioned by who you are, what kind of eyes you have, what kind of heart that you have. Uh, is he a God of absolute love and mercy or is he a God of terrifying wrath? Well, he's a God of love and mercy, but if you're not surrendered to that, you'll experience him as the God of destructive wrath. And so that leads to this question, and I end with this. What kind of fire is God to you? What kind of fire is God to you? What you see in God says a whole lot about you. 
Where is your heart? What kind of eyes do you have to see? God is a, a, a God of infinitely intense, fiery love. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Do you receive that? Have you submitted to that? Will you let him consume you in his love? It's amazing that you would think that that would be something where everyone would just do. Yeah, I'll be consumed by your love. But it means we've got to let go of our own lordship and doing life our own way and going our, getting our own life for ourselves. And, and, and it means we've got to submit to Jesus Christ. Will you let yourself be consumed by the love of God? And are you letting God burn away everything in your mind that keeps you from seeing him in all of his hot, fiery beauty? Magnificent fire of radiant, beautiful, unsurpassable love. Do you see him like that? Will you submit to that? He's also a purifying fire, which leads to this question. Will you let God burn away everything that needs to be burned away? In fact, right now, I'd like you to pause for a moment. And if you want to close your eyes, that'd be good. If, but if you pray better with your eyes open... I do. Keep them open. But I want to ask the Holy Spirit right now to just reveal to us if there's any areas that we need to have burned away. You probably already know what they are. And the Lord is saying, oh, just turn over that piece of chaff to me. That little wax, let me melt that. You think that that wax, that chaff, that thing, that addiction, that relationship, you think that's given you life, you think you need it, but you don't. Oh, it's blocking you from me. It's an obstacle. And I want to burn it up because I love you so much. Will you just surrender to him? This isn't about you with your own valiant self-effort getting out of whatever problem or bondage that you're in. Christianity is not a pop psychology self-help thing. No, it's a, it's a yielding to the fire thing. Will you yield to the cosmic pyromaniac who wants to burn up everything in your life that should be burned up? And so we just surrender to him. And say, Lord, I, I don't want this. Maybe you do want it. Well, then ask God to burn that up. Burn up my want. Burn it away. Let him burn up the self-centeredness, the idolatry, doing life your own way, the materialism, the concern for appearances, concern for what people think, the obstinate refusal to live life God's way. Let him burn it up. Burn it up. Just, just yield it to him. Holy Spirit, let us see honestly what is true. Turn the light of judgment on now so we don't have to have it turned on later. And then finally, there may be some people listening here in the auditorium or maybe through podcast or CD or television, and you're in an even scarier place because you don't have the foundation laid, and the foundation is Jesus Christ. That, I guarantee you, is untouched by the fire because that is fire. And... Uh, if you don't have that foundation laid, which isn't about what you believe so much, it's about how you have committed yourself to live. Are you li have you committed to following the way of Jesus Christ and living with him as Lord of your life? And if you haven't, then you maybe see the fiery God as a terrifying God, and in fact, you should, because you're in a dangerous spot. That's not a scare tactic, that's just a real thing. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine, but you will not receive that if you're insisting on being chaff. It will burn, his love will burn you up. Will you, this morning, right here, right now, or whenever you're listening to this, will you surrender your life to Jesus Christ? Just surrender. And if you're here in this auditorium, I want to encourage you, if, you, if that is the decision you want to make, and, and you know if, that, if, if you're the one I'm talking to, I want to encourage you to come up here. In fact, I'd like to ask the prayer teams to come up here right now. And if you want to surrender your life to Christ, I want you to come forward and, and, and after the service is done and talk to these folks. And they'll explain how to do that and how to get started in the Christian life.
Let him, let him make you his child and begin the purifying work in your life. And Lord, now I just pray that whatever we're to learn from this message, you would have us learn, sear it into us, burn it into us. That you are a God of infinitely intense, fiery love. You're a God of purifying fire, but you're also a God of destroying fire for those who will not submit to that. And Lord, land it as it's supposed to land as we leave this place. I pray, Lord God, that the fire of your love and the fire of your presence would burn hot in us as we leave this place, as we talk out in the gathering area, as we drive home, as we interact with our neighbors and our bosses and, and our friends and our relatives, Lord God. I pray that the heat of your love would shine, would just radiate out of us, and that we'd be full of your passion and your love and your joy. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's fiery pyromaniac people said... Amen. God bless you guys. If you want to come forward for any reason and pray, come forward. These folks would love to pray with you. God bless you. Go out and burn up the world.